great privilege to be here and to open the Word of God to you. Let's pray before we begin. Our Father, we are grateful this evening for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Lord, we're aware in some small measure of our sins and shortcomings, and we know that we don't even know a fraction. And yet, uh, you've undertaken to wash away our sins by blood that is infinitely powerful to cleanse from sin. And you've undertaken to sanctify us by your Spirit. You said, I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll cause you, I'll put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to obey my ordinances. And Father, we pray that you'd continue that work even tonight. We're asking you to make us more like Jesus. We're asking you to continue the work in our lives that we're not able to continue ourselves apart from your power. And we pray that you would grant us a spirit of faith and love and power and of a sound mind this evening, that you'd cause your word to go forth and scatter your enemies and advance your kingdom. We pray for the help of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we will begin reading at verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Every one of us finds ourselves tonight in some way under the mighty hand of God. And many times we find ourselves in situations that we would not choose to be in, but we're under His hand and we can choose to humble ourselves under His hand that He might exalt us at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to center our attention tonight on verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. I want to speak to you on the Christian's adversary the devil. And Brother Kevin asked me to consider speaking on this subject, and I was happy to do that because I need to hear it repeatedly. And if you've already heard this message, evidently you need to hear it again too. So we will be looking at this subject, the Christian's adversary, the devil. According to the Bible, all Christians are involved in a warfare. This is reality. 
Whether you want to be in that warfare or not, you are in that warfare if you're a Christian. You woke up this morning in one sense behind enemy lines. It's not a physical warfare. It's not against flesh and blood. But it is a spiritual warfare against unseen spiritual enemies. And it is a life and death warfare. The thief comes not just to trip us up a little bit, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan hates the sight of you if you're a Christian. There's a brother back home there who was a a total alcoholic, went to Hawaii just so he could be drunk on the beach all day long. God saved him. Totally transformed him. Now don't you think Satan hates the sight of him every time he sees him? Because every Christian is a walking testimony to the power of God and the defeat of the devil. And so we're in this battle. And the Word of God, we're told, is a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. And it makes us wiser than our enemies. We're told that in Psalm 119.98. The Word of God makes us wiser And so we need to pay close attention to the Word of God in this area of spiritual warfare. So tonight I want us to consider three designations that are given to our enemy here in verse 8. They're very simple, but they're very helpful, very profound. The first designation is adversary. Notice verse 8, your adversary. This is probably the most basic designation that's given to our enemy in all the Word of God. I don't think it's the most important, but it's the most basic. And if I were to ask you the Greek word for adversary, probably most of you wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know it if I hadn't looked it up. But if I were to ask you the Hebrew word, you're all Hebrew scholars. You would all know the Hebrew word. Because the Hebrew word for adversary is just the word Satan. And every time you read the word Satan in the Old Testament, and we could, we, again, we could wish that it had been translated, because the word Satan is not a proper name like Kevin or Charles. The word Satan is just the word, the Hebrew word for adversary. It's actually used. For the angel of the Lord, you remember when Balaam is being opposed, the angel of the Lord stands in the way, and the angel of the Lord said, I have come out as a Satan against you, an adversary against you. So every time you read the word Satan in the Old Testament, you're reading the adversary, the adversary. And so what does this mean? What is God telling us? by the fact that the devil's name is adversary. Well, I think he's reminding us of this, that there's much more to the Christian life than just our own sins or just other people that we're interacting with. We have an adversary. We have an enemy on the outside who is opposing us, who's not wanting us to live the Christian life. And this is a reality according to the Word of God. This is the truth. Even if we had no sin of our own, imagine that. You have no sin whatsoever. 
you would still face mighty opposition from the outside to living the Christian life. How do we know that? Well, the Lord Jesus had no sin whatsoever, and He faced the most opposition of anyone who's ever lived. So you see, you've got to remember that you are facing something more than your own sins, and you're facing something more than those people or these circumstances or whatever. There's one who does not want you to live the Christian life. And we see this in Scripture, places like uh, concerning the Lord Jesus. It said that the tempter came to him and said. It was more than just the idea that, um, you know, some thought arose in your mind. There are times when your adversary is deliberately tempting you. You're facing opposition to living the Christian life from the outside. Now, this is so simple and basic but it's so important to remember. And uh, we can go to either extreme. Some people are constantly concentrating on, on the devil and on these things. But we also can go to the other, other extreme and not remember that there's more than just our own sins or other people. And I think that's what God is reminding us of here with this designation, adversary. We have a real objective opponent to contend with. In a a word, we have an adversary, someone who stands against and opposes us. And that knowledge is a great help in itself. You remember when the Lord Jesus is walking along and um, He's talking about the cross? And Peter says, Far be that from you, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. And He said, What? Get thee behind me, Satan. So somebody can be speaking to you, a person can be speaking to you, and yet the adversary can be behind their words, tempting you. This is something, I mean, Jesus was aware of this. Uh, When Peter denied the Lord, you know, if you wanted to blame that on circumstances, I mean, it's nighttime, they're coming with torches and clubs, and you say, well, it's easy to understand why he denied the Lord. But there was something much more than that that was happening, wasn't there? Simon, Simon, what Satan, the adversary, has desired to have you. And what was taking place that night was beyond the circumstances. Something supernatural involved. And so when they were coming with those clubs and torches and what have you in the middle of the night, there was something more going on. Satan was trying to take out the 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 mouthpiece of the apostles. He's, he's I'll, that Peter. I'll take care of him, and he would have destroyed him. Except Jesus said, "I've prayed for you that your faith fail not." You see what we're talking about? There's real opposition to living the Christian life that comes from the outside, not circumstances, not even your own sin, and this has been the case down through Christian history. Many new Christians are bombarded with atheistic and blasphemous thoughts, and the devil tries to make them think that they're coming from within. I've heard this testimony repeatedly down through the years. Some of you know Tim Conway. He said he never had doubts about God until he became a Christian. Then he's bombarded with all these atheistic thoughts. 
Douglas McMillan, some of you read maybe some of his books. He was another. In my own life, I never doubted God until I became a Christian and then bombarded with all kinds of thoughts, doubting God. That's because of our adversary. Um, many a mature Christian has experienced this type of thing. Some of you may have read the biography of J.O. Frazier. He was a missionary to China. And he said after he arrived in China, he was constantly felt like there was this cold, dark, damp cloud over his spirit. And he thought, well, maybe it's the food or maybe it's the climate. And finally he began to realize this is Satan opposing there's a brother there in Lebanon that some of you know who told me, he said, I feel it all the time. I didn't feel it because I was underneath his umbrella. But he said, I feel it all the time. There's this oppression. And J.O. Fraser realized that Satan was trying to destroy him, break him down, and he, he went out and he began to pray, lifting his voice and crying out to God, quoting Scripture. And he said those clouds begin to lift and the air was clear. Haven't we experienced this? I've experienced it in a prayer meeting. You come into the prayer meeting, you feel like God's about a million miles away and He's about this big and He can't do anything anyway and it won't do any good to pray. And when you really begin to pray and the clouds begin to lift and about halfway through the time you start thinking, God is real. He'll answer my prayer. What is this? We're... Satan stands at the threshold of prayer and opposes us. He doesn't want us to get help from on high. Well, we have an adversary, Hudson Taylor, godly man. You remember the, there's a big two-volume set about his life. The first one is the growth of a soul. The second, the growth of a work of God. I was amazed to read in that second volume, it never ceases to amaze me, that he was having thoughts of suicide. How can that be? Well, because he had an adversary bombarding him. And you, when you see the kind of work these men did, Martin Lloyd-Jones in a nursing home, 1949, struggling terribly. He was greatly used by God, and so his adversary opposed him. Duncan Campbell, some of you know about the Hebrides Revival, he went through a period for three months during the revival when God was saving people and wonderful things were happening. He went through a period of darkness where all he could do was weep all day long. And the only time it lifted was when he was in the pulpit preaching. Um, some of you may know, I could, I could keep going on. Some of you may know the story of Pastor Xi who was mightily used there in China. Two years he faced major catastrophes, one right after another, any of which could have destroyed the work apart from God. So how can we explain such things? Well, we can only explain them by the fact that we have an adversary. <clears throat> These men were opposed mightily, and we see that again in the life of the Lord Jesus, opposed mightily. Uh, you say, well, I don't think Jesus felt things the way I feel. And he felt them much more than we feel. He stood against the rage of Satan in a way that no man ever has because he was perfectly sinless. So that's the first designation. And this is the thing to remember. 
there's opposition. There's someone who doesn't want you to live the Christian life. And you have an objective, real opponent and an adversary. So the second designation here is devil. <clears throat> Your adversary, that is Satan, the devil prowls about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Of the three names that we're going to look at tonight, this one here I think is far and away the most important in Scripture. Uh, it's the, the designation that's used repeatedly over and over the most often, and it's also full of meaning. It, it reveals to us so much about Satan's character and working. And if you don't get anything else tonight, I hope you can go away with this. What's the meaning of this word devil? It's the word diablos, and we have words like diabolical and so on. But the question is, once again, what's the word diablos mean? Anybody know what it means? It means slanderer, the slanderer. And again, this is not a name, it's not just a word, it's, uh, I mean, it's not like a proper name or uh, what, when it comes to, I mean, what do we think of when we think of devil? It doesn't have any meaning. But slanderer has a meaning. And this very same word is used concerning the older women. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3.11, it says they're not supposed to be devils. Older women are not supposed to be de- Devils translated slanderer in the in the authorized version, uh, translated malicious gossips in the New American Standard. What's the ESV have on? Somebody look it up for me. First Timothy three eleven. I didn't get that looked up. Anybody have the ESV? Maybe not. What are you using? New King James. Okay, so that probably has slanderer there. At any rate, <clears throat> this, is, this is not some technical term. It's a word for slanderer. What is slanderer? And we miss so much. You see, every time you see the word devil, you're reading the word slanderer. And so immediately you ought to be ready. For example, it says, The slanderer came to him and said... Well, you're ready for what he's going to do, aren't you? Uh, Just by the term slanderer. Devil um, conjures up in our our minds this idea of a a, a little man with red, you know, red man with horns and a tail or something like that. It has no meaning, and that's what he wants. But if you realize it means slanderer, and every time you see it, slanderer, the slanderer, and his angels. Your adversary, the slanderer, the slander came to him to tempt him and said. So you just have to let this soak in. Now, how does he slander? And this is, uh, this is where this matter of Satan's slandering is so important. First of all, he slanders God to us. When I first started studying this years ago, I started the message thinking of how he slanders us to each other. But I began to realize as I looked into it that his, his slandering, actually the biggest thing is he slanders God to man. And we see this clear back in the garden 
And let's just turn to that in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. We'll just look at three verses here. Verse 1, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... Now this is the first introduction of the slanderer in the Bible, and immediately he's calling into question God's Word. Indeed, has God said... And then in verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You shall, you surely shall not die. So he questions God's word and he says, God's a liar. And verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God's holding out on you. He's trying to keep you from something that's good. And this is what Satan always does. He slanders, and this is the primal work. I mean, right here, when he's first introduced, he's slandering God to man. And he does this constantly. He's going to be slandering God to you throughout the day. In every bad thing that happens, in every good thing that happens, he'll be slandering God to you. He'll be suggesting to you that you can't trust God. He'll be suggesting to you that God's holding out on you and that He's not really concerned for your good. You know, He knows that if you had such and such, you'd have real life. And He wants to keep you from having that. And um, again, this goes on all the time. Um Think of a, a person who's lost and they're under conviction of sin. The devil is telling them, the slanderer is telling them, you don't want to follow God. That would be terrible if you begin to follow God. You won't have any life if you follow God. See, he's slandering God to you. Um, God's laws. He constantly slanders God's laws to us. You know, God's a killjoy trying to keep you from experiencing life, and so He gives you all these commandments. It's like the lines out on the highway. You know, they say, no. I don't know what you have here. Is it solid white or something for no passing? We have solid yellow. And you say, I hate that white line. I want life. And you go and break that law. You see what a lie it is? But that's what Satan is telling you. The slanderer is telling you that God's laws are death, and if you disobey God's laws, you'll have life. Exact opposite of the way it is. You think of uh, um, a young person praying, you know, Lord, I just want you to choose my spouse. Whoever you want for me. I put it in your hands. I, want, I, put, I put my future in your hands. And if you want me to marry somebody, I pray that you would choose that person. You know what Satan's telling you? Don't do that. God's going to give you the ugliest person that you could imagine if you put that in his hand. Isn't that true? 
That's the kind of thoughts that come into our minds. Seeking God's will. A lot of Christians have, this is another example of, say, of the devil slandering. Here's a person um, wanting God's will, and they have in their mind, you know, you come to God and you say, Lord, please show me what you want me to do. And in their mind, their thought is, God is saying, I'm not going to tell you. You see if you can find it. You see if you can find God's will. I'm hiding it from you. That's thought, those are slanderous thoughts about God. Um, God's attitude towards His children. Many Christians have the idea that, that uh, God is in heaven with a big club waiting for you to mess up in some way so that He can club you. That's not the right idea of a father. All those are slanderous thoughts. Um, A.W. Tozer, a pastor there in America, he said now, one time in a message he was talking about how he had given his little daughter to God. He said, I've, I just gave my daughter to God and prayed that he would just take her and use her in any way that he saw fit. And a woman came up to him afterward, after the message. She said, aren't you afraid to do that? You see the idea? God's evil. And if you put your daughter in his hands, you ought to be afraid of what might happen. So the devil, the slanderer, is giving all these thoughts to us. And he does this as we read Scripture. You know, you're reading along about the man that went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath, and God said, stone him. And the devil says, see, that's the kind of God you have. It just Here's this poor innocent man picking up sticks, and God is so harsh and evil. Well, that's not, beloved, that's not the way it is. David went in and ate the showbread that was only for certain people, breaking directly what God had said, and God didn't do anything. But what about that man picking up sticks? He went out in front of the whole congregation and said, I'm going to pick up sticks if I want to. That's why there was that harsh punishment. And there are so many things like this in Scripture where even as you're reading the Bible, the devil will try to slander God to you. I mean, the Bible talks about eternal punishment and the torment and so on, and the devil will put in your mind, well, God's this fiendish torturer. No, he's perfectly just, perfectly right. The scales of justice will be perfectly satisfied. All those things are slanders of God. You know, um, the Lord Jesus dealt with this. He says, which of you fathers, if your son will ask for a fish, you know, your little child comes to you and says, Daddy, could I have a fish? And he slips, he close your eyes and he slips him a snake. Or he asks for bread and he gives him a rock, stone. Or he asks for an egg. Think of this, you know, Father, can I have an egg? Oh, close your eyes and you put a scorpion in his hand. Why would Jesus use that kind of illustration? Because he knew the slanderer would tell you that. When you come to God and you're asking for an egg, 
the devil's going to tell you that he that God is the kind of God who would give you a scorpion. This is real. And he gives this teaching specifically because of that. You have that there in Numbers 13. They start to go into the land. The spies come back with an evil report. They said, this land, if you go in there, it's a land that eats up its inhabitants. That's, that's the slanderer. And our wives and our children are going to become a prey if we go in there. Again, it's slander. It's a lie. Well, we need to ask ourselves, where did I get this idea of God? Is it, is it really from the Bible? Is God really like that, or is this a slander? Secondly, he slanders God to man. He slanders man to God. Now, we see this in the Bible. He's slandering all the time. It says in Revelation 12.10 that the accuser of our brethren has been cast down who accuses them before God night and day. So 24-7, Satan is there accusing. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? It's quite a description. But slandering goes beyond accusing and brings in this malicious aspect of it. And we see this so clearly in Job, and let's just turn to that briefly. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, the adversary, have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He'll surely curse you to your face. Now, see, that's a slander. God says, look, the only reason Job's following you is for what he can get out of you. And if you take that away, he'll curse you. And then in chapter 2, and beginning at verse 3, some time has passed here. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he'll give for his life. Ever put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, he will curse you to your face. So, <clears throat> again, slandering Job to God. And God even says, see, he, he's bragging on Job. He says, see, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Now, here's a question. Why? I mean, this is so strange because Satan can slander God to man and men might believe it, but when he slanders man to God, God knows better. God knew that that wasn't the reason Job was serving him. 
So why did God allow all this to happen? Well, He did it in order to get glory out of Job against Satan. And He actually brags on him and says, See, He's holding fast His integrity. Now, we, you know, the word trial and the word test and the word tempt is all the same word, and it just depends who's doing it. But if you could realize, Job's going through horrible trials. Or let's say it another way. He's taking a very big test. He's going through a big test. When you say to somebody, pray for me, I'm really going through a trial. Do you ever think about this? Pray for me, I'm taking a test right now. We'll see how the, I'm trying to get a good grade on this test. What? So that God will be glorified by the way that I respond to this thing. That's what's going on when you're in a trial. You're in a test. And God, and the fact, you know, the thing that makes it so hard is, is that we don't realize it many times. But the fact is, is God is bragging on Job and he's saying, look at him. See, he's still holding fast. You're, you're, a, you're a deceiver. You're a liar. You're slandering. This man really does love me. And he's getting glory out of Job's life. That's what. He wants to get out of our lives when we are in these kinds of trials. And he also wanted to do good for Job in the end, you remember. That's the way that whole story turned out. So he slanders man to God. And there's other examples of this in Zechariah 3. The high priest is there and it says Satan was at his right hand to accuse him. Quite a picture. He's there in these filthy garments and Satan's right there, you know, at his right hand. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. So he slanders God to man. He slanders man to God. He slanders us to each other. Now this is a big one. He slanders us to each other. What a tactic. If you were going up against an enemy, what could give you more glee than to get half of your enemy fighting the other half? Then you've got equal odds. And that's what happened with Gideon. He had 300 men going up against 135,000 men. How do you win a battle like that? Well, you get 67,500 fighting the other 67,500. And then it's a totally equal battle, isn't it? And that's the way God did it. I mean, it was supernatural, but they, they came in the night, 300 men, 300 pitchers. They broke the pitchers, blew the trumpets, and the enemy wakes up and they say, look, if there's 300 men blowing the trumpet and carrying torches, there must be a million people coming against us. And they got up and began to fight one another. And they destroyed one another. And beloved, that's what... Satan is trying to do in the church all the time. He is slandering all the time in the church, trying to divide us against one another. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself can't stand. Remember, this is slander. 99% of the time, it's not true. It's something that is malicious in its intent. And I've seen this. I've been a pastor for many years and I've seen it repeatedly. Sometimes 
more than you could imagine. I mean, intricate, interwoven things. Well, I th you said such and such, and then you listen to the other side. Well, that, I thought you meant such and such. And you can see how the sides are not hearing one another. And Satan is coming in. This, or the devil, is, this is the name that applies here. He's slandering us to one another constantly. Look at her. She didn't even say hi to me again. I wonder, I wonder if it's such and such. That's what it is. I think she said so-and-so. Well, I wonder about such and such. And that's the way it goes on. One godly Christian couple, the wife told me, <clears throat> she said, um, they were sitting at the breakfast table and the toast popped up and she sat in there thinking, and this thought going through her mind, look at him. He knows that toast popped up. And he, he's deliberately trying to make me angry. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Actually, he didn't know the toast had popped up at all. I'd, I think it's been probably at least 35 years since I've experienced this. But I remember one time years ago where I was sitting in the meeting. I think this happened several times. I'm sitting in the meeting, and I can hardly concentrate on the songs because there's this burning feeling in my heart towards somebody on the other side of the room. And I think God allowed me to experience that a little bit just so I realized there's Christians that are feeling that. I mean, true believers that are feeling that kind of stuff being put in their hearts, pressed on them by the slanderer. This is real, beloved. This is the way he tries to destroy the church. He tries to pit us against one another. Proverbs 16, 28, a slanderer separates intimate friends. You have intimate friends and be separated by slander. And that's why if we ever begin to feel any bitterness rise up in our heart toward anybody, we need to go and talk to them. Don't let any wall come up. If you begin to let that wall come up, in a little while, everything you hear, everything that, that you say and they say going back and forth, and the slanderer has you. If you'll go and talk to them, often in just a few minutes, the wall will be broken down. That's just the reality of it. We had a sister one time um, in the church, and she, she did the right thing. But what happened was our, our children were little, and she was taking pictures after the meeting, taking photographs of different families. And our, our children were sick, and we left. And a little bit later, I got a phone call. She said, I just need to know this. She said, Did you leave the meeting because you didn't want me to take your, your picture? And I was able to say that wasn't it at all. But suppose she hadn't called me. Then the thought builds up. You know, well, there's something between us. And the next week, maybe I don't remember to greet her. There's something bother me or I greet somebody else. And so it builds up a little bit more. You see how it works. My co-pastor for many years, he and I, at the very beginning when God began the work there, um, we were painting a farm in Iowa during the summer for our, to, 
try to get some money. And we were living in a little camper that was so small, I mean, you had to spit your toothpaste outside the door. And God just put us together like this, and it was like the slanderer was working constantly to try to destroy our relationship. Why? Because God had begun to save some people. And he'd be on one side of the farm painting, you know, thinking bad thoughts about me, and I'd be on the other side painting, you know, thinking bad thoughts about him. You see, that's how the slanderer works. Now, you're starting to see the picture. He's slandering all the time. He's slandering God to you, trying to make you doubt God's Word, trying to make you think God is bad. He's slandering you to God all the time, trying to destroy you and destroy your testimony in God's sight. And He's slandering us to each other all the time. Trying to create division and separate us. What else? <clears throat> well, he slanders us to ourselves. He's slandering you to yourself. How does that work? Well, it works like this. Fine Christian you are. You lost your patience with the children again, didn't you? Or with your husband or with your wife. And now you're going to go to the prayer meeting, you hypocrite. You're never going to get victory. You might as well throw in the towel and give up. You're a failure. God's not for you. God's not pleased with you. In fact, God's against you. That's what that king said to Hezekiah. He said, don't think God's going to help you. Hezekiah is the one that tore down these high places. God's against you. He'll tell you that God's against you. He slanders you to yourself. And we have plenty of sins and shortcomings and failings that are legitimate things He can accuse us of. But on top of that, He slanders, He twists it, He turns it in a little bit. You know, in such a way that you feel like you're worthless and you've never had a victory in your life. And you might as well give up. Those are slanders. And all we can do in those things is to take our stand on the Word of God. <clears throat> Romans 8, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. And Proverbs twenty four sixteen: The righteous falls seven times and rises again. You can be a Christian and fall seven times, but you'll rise again and God will deliver you. Micah 7, 8, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Those are promises. You'll never have victory. Well, sin shall not have dominion over me, for I'm not under the law, but under grace. In Isaiah 50, verse 10, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of His servant, who walks in darkness and has no light? There are, it's possible as a Christian to fear the Lord, obey the voice of His servant, and yet walk in darkness and have no light. That's, sometimes that happens. And you feel like God has forsaken you. What's He say for you to do? It doesn't mean you don't fear the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not obeying. But you're walking in darkness and have no light. He says, what, what, what should you do? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon His God. That's the thing to do. 
trust in God during those times. Okay, briefly here, the last designation. Roaring lion. Your adversary, the slanderer, prowls about like a roaring lion. What does that speak of? Fierceness and power. And if we were to take time and go through the Word of God and look at all the designations of our enemy, I think we find that they fall into two basic categories. Some of them have to do with his character. For example, he's subtle, he's crafty, he's a liar. Some of them have to do with his power. He's a god of a whole world. He's a god of this world. He deceives the whole world. He's a great red dragon whose tail sweeps a third of the stars of heaven. That has to do with power. But this particular designation, the roaring lion, has to do with both character and power. Um, Regarding his character, his nature, he's bloodthirsty, he's merciless, he's fierce. Regarding his power, think of the contrast between a lion and a sheep. You know, if there's a, a lion outside and we're a room full of sheep and you take a sheep and push it out there, it's going to be a bloodbath. They're, hey, Satan, and what's God saying to us? He's saying he's, he's fierce, he's merciless, he's powerful. So what are we to do? Well, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Satan's a lion, we're sheep, but greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How much greater? Infinitely greater. And I like the way one brother read that passage in Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and he added the word, defeated principalities, dethroned powers. Because Christ has done that. He defeated the power of darkness. And he's greater than greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, infinitely greater. I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And as we do that, we'll be able to do what Peter said. We'll be able to resist him steadfast or firm in our faith. Verse nine. There's a verse that um, I really like in this regard, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, the first thing we do is submit ourselves to God. When we realize that we're under attack, we go down on our knees and say, Lord, I give you everything. I'm not holding back. I'm giving myself to you completely. Submit yourself to God, and then when you do that, you can rise up and resist the devil. A sheep can resist a lion, and he'll flee from you. Not some great preacher or some great pastor or whatever. He'll flee from you as you submit yourself to God. Well, may the Lord help us to be of sober spirit and be on the alert Knowing what? Knowing that we have an adversary, someone who is opposing from the outside our living of the Christian life. It's going to be true tomorrow morning.
You've got somebody that doesn't want you to live the Christian life. He's going to oppose you, and the, one of the big things he's going to do is slander. He'll slander God to you. He'll slander your brother or sister to you. He'll slander you to yourself. He'll slander you to God. And he's like a roaring lion. Your only strength is in the Lord, but you've got infinite strength in the Lord. And you resist him steadfast in your faith. He'll flee from you. Amen.